0: Let me pray, and we'll continue in the book of Daniel. And as Layla read, beast and sea, and everyone's eyes went, woo! So let's pray. Father, help me and help us. Thank you for this body. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for your son and what he's done. Father, give me the grace to explain well this account in Daniel, and give me the grace to put Jesus forth, and Spirit come and do in our hearts what you wish to do in the reality, in the light of your son and who he is. In Jesus' name, amen. So week six, but really seven, because we were outside for one week in this exile series. And you guys probably know it by now if you've been with us. How do we live in light of Joshua's, uh, sorry, Jeremiah's command, 29, be good citizens. Where do you live? America, if you're not visiting. And 1 John 2, the world is passing away. If you are attached to the desires and the lust, you will be. Perish in a sense. So there's a tension, and Jesus has taught us to live in that tension. It's called the Calvary Road or the narrow road, and we are longing, at least as Christians, how do I live in America in 2017? Chuckle, chuckle, as a faithful Christian and not going either side. How do I not get swept away and become a hoarder and a what are they called? I don't want to offend anybody if you are. The people that live in the mountains with all the ammunition and the guns and the water and everything. How do I not do that? Because I don't think that's God's will for my life per se. And how do I not just get swept away by the, uh, the way of the world? And Jesus actually tells us through his ministry, but Daniel prophesied it long ago. Because he lived in Babylon. And he was a good citizen in Babylon, yet he was faithful to Yahweh. So his life is an example of how we too should live. And so the book of Daniel, we hit kind of eight last week. It's not, sorry, we hit six last week. It's not chronologically. That's why I'm confused. We're going to go back to seven for a minute. And we learned about the fall of the Babylonian Empire last week. But now we're back to Belshazzar. Belshazzar, this guy. Belshazzar was a new king. And Daniel's role under Belshazzar and his father in the Babylonian Empire was what? To largely interpret what? Dreams, Remember? These kings would have these dreams, and they would become terrified, and Daniel would show up and be like, hey, king, you don't have to be terrified if you change your ways, but if you keep walking in the way of empire and keep doing the things you're doing, the end's going to come. And what do kings do usually when you say, a normal person, the empire will end someday. What do they usually do? ha <laughs> ha Our politicians do it nowadays, right? They, don't, they haven't learned much from history. And so that was Daniel's role, but in our scripture today, Daniel has his own dream. And he has a vision, and Layla read some of it, and let me tell you about a bit of his vision in Daniel 7. He dreams, and he dreams of the sea. How many of you guys like the beach? I love the beach. We're Californians, most of us, right? How many people in Des Moines, Iowa like the beach? Probably a lot, but they don't probably have much experience with the beach. Now, the ancients, when Daniel was living, they didn't really like the beach because they never went to the beach, especially with the way we know the beach. They didn't go to Maui. (laughs) They didn't go to Cabo. They didn't go to Orange County, California. They didn't go to the beach in Florida. They didn't go to any of the coasts that we go, oh, can I just go to the beach? The ancients actually feared the beach because in much of the metaphors, both Jewish and non-Jewish, the beach, the waters, the seas were a dark and scary place. How many guys are usually fearful of great big powerful things you know nothing about? We'll pray for the rest of you, you can be honest in church. We all are. The seas, the waters, the winds, the things that came from the sea were very scary not in an intellectual way, but in a primitive experiential way. These people had no idea what was going on in the sea. So they just saw water and wind and they go, whew, oh, no way. And probably when they wanted to travel on land, more t- or sorry, on sea, more times than not, what would happen to a boat when the wind came up? Not good. And as the imagination rolls, without light from God himself shedding on our hearts, we can come up with all sorts of myths and metaphors, right, about monsters and beasts. So Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, has a dream, and he dreams of the seas being turned up by the wind and the waves coming, and he dreams four beasts appear from the sea. They're a little weird, man, beast. The first one's a little man, beast. It's a little weird, but a lion... A leopard's in the middle. Let me go to my notes. I'm usually pretty good. 4B, sorry about that. Let me get there. Why don't we read it? Daniel chapter 7, verse 2. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, And four great beasts came from the sea, different from one another. Four beasts appeared. And what we want to see in this scripture is that it is very easy for us in 2017 to make interpretations about these four beasts to stay safe in our faith. Let me say it this way. A lion shows up, a leopard shows up, a bear shows up, and a monster shows up. And it's very easy in San Carlos to go, duh, that's the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, and the Romans. Done. Why is it easy for me to do that? Why is it easy for you to do that? And why is it dangerous? This is the main point of the sermon. Some of you are thinking that's good. Think in church especially what the pastor says, right? It's easy for us to think that in San Carlos, California, because we're on top right now in the world. America, regardless of what you think, is the largest superpower in the, in the world right now. I know China and Russia and other nations are, are climbing, but as history stands, we are numero UNO, so it's easy for us to read this scripture that was written over 2,000 years ago, this account, and go, oh yeah, that was this, this, and this, and that's just an example. But I want us to pause for a moment and see what this vision, this dream is about, or could be about. I know what it's about. You do too. What if we looked at this vision where a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a monster appeared, and all they do is devour? What do lions do when they're let loose? They do what they want. Anybody ever seen a picture of a grizzly bear? Like a 12 foot one? It's as tall as the balcony thing right there. Look behind. That's a bear. It's probably 1,500 pounds. It will outrun Usain Bolt under 100 yards. That's what a bear does. Everyone's like, oh, okay. It's not those cute little cuddly things that we give to our kids, right? (laughs) Anybody ever seen a hungry leopard on the prowl on like one of those channels? Amazing animals. And a monster, yeah, a monster does what it wants. So we see this and we hear this, and it's easy for us in our Western academic post-Enlightenment culture to go, yeah, that could be the Assyrians or the Romans or the Greek or the Medo-Persians or maybe even some of the empires we see through the Dark Ages. But, but that's that. And, but what Daniel is dreaming, as we've learned, this metaphor, this vision, this dream, is the way the world has been since the fall of man. Simply, human beings without the goodness and grace of God will build empire and there will always be another empire. And what empires do, the way of the world, John, 1 John 2 language, is they take advantage of people and they rule with an iron fist. Now, we are a different empire, I believe, in America. Our nation came to power in a bit of a different way, with a bit of a different agenda per se, but don't take the full bait, we are still an empire. Sometimes we pay with kid gloves, which is better, amen? But we gotta see this. What if we read this in the year 1400 and I was a Native American? How would I read this passage? Would I give a rip about the Roman Empire? No, (laughs) I wouldn't care. 180 years later, I would read this passage and I would see lion, bear, leopard, and monster. I would read it this way through my people. First, it was the Portuguese. They came like a lion and just ravaged us. And after a little bit of peace, then it was the Spanish, and they came and did what they want, just like a bear, hungry bear. And after the Spanish, those Dutch, small country, but those Dutch, they came in and kind of had their way with us, kind of like a leopard. They proud and they were sneaky. And I'm English, so I can say it, but the worst was those English. They were monsters to us. So the point is, in this vision, let us not just pigeonhole an ancient Roman empire or a Greek empire or Alexander the Great or any of those people that we see in history. Let's see this as the way of the world, pervasive in all humanity. My heart breaks for the Sudanese people in South Sudan because they're still at war. 37 years. They had three and a half years of peace. I've been there twice, so I have a little more skin in the game. They can't stop fighting. It's the way of the world apart from the grace of God. And Daniel is showing this. God's giving him this vision to show him something beautiful on the other end. That's the vision. That's how we must see it. Don't just see it as a history lesson. See it as the condition of the human heart, from the fall, and apart from being salt and light by the gift of God in Christ, it will always be so. But Jesus, what did he talk more about than anything? It wasn't money or hell for you little guys, clickbait, right? He talked something about something more. It was the kingdom and the Son of Man. He called himself the Son of Man over 80 times in the New Testament. That's a lot, by the way. He talked about the kingdom. Over and over and over again. He did through parables. He did through teachings. He did through examples. And then he f- flat out said it. And he was simply bringing to fruition what Daniel's vision, the second half at least, was about. So let's look at this. Here's the hopeful part, right? Because men treat each other like men treat each other. And most of us over history can be lions, bears, Leopards or monsters, metaphorically, right? Notice in the scripture, whenever the king had a dream, kind of like this, they would lose sleep, they would probably sweat, and they would be in utter turmoil. It doesn't appear Daniel is that way because he has a second part of the dream, Daniel dreams after this about another vision, and he kinda dreams in the middle part, like 9, 10, 11, 12 in Daniel 7, about a throne room and a courtroom in heaven. And he uses language like 10,000 times, 10,000 people were there. Where do we also see that? The book of Revelation, right? And he sees this amazing throne room, and he sees onlookers, and he sees witnesses, and then he sees one on the throne. And let's read Daniel 7:13 together. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Daniel 7:13, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Quickly, if you've been with us I've said it before, where do monsters come from biblically? The sea. Every time One of the reasons in Revelation, there is no more sea. Not that there actually probably won't be a thing that looks like a beach in the New Jerusalem and stuff. We can debate that all day long. But the point is, metaphorically, evil is silenced before the great throne. And where does the Son of Man come from? Heaven, clouds. And he presents himself before the Ancient of Days, Yahweh. So Daniel has a vision of humanity over and over again, basically killing itself, metaphorically with civilizations that act like what? Lions and bears and leopards and monsters and they're crazy and scary. They come from this place. And then he goes on to see what the kingdom looks like. And this figure, this son of man shows his face. Verse 14, And to him, the Son of Man, Jesus, for the Cliff Notes verses, and to Jesus was given dominion and glory and a what? Kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Here's the point. Which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Why did we need a bear to come? Because eventually the lion, what? Died, metaphorically. Why did the leopard show up? Because the bear got what was coming to the bear, probably an ambush by a bunch of leopards, right? In the metaphor. The monster, we can debate that again in, in the scholarly realm, theologically, is that here. But the point of all that is this is the way of the world, Civilization after civilization, empire after empire, the way of the world after the way of the world continually destroys itself and there's always something stronger right around the corner, right? There's always something more powerful right around the corner. But what does the son of man, what's prophesied about him? He's given a kingdom, the true kingdom of God. He's given all dominion. Why is the spirit of empire and the spirit of the way of the world, demonic. Those will say powers, that's what Paul calls them, and principalities, try to dethrone the son of man. And God in grace, from beginning, even before Jesus showed up, said, no, my son has the kingdom of the universe it will never end. His will will be done. And every force and person that comes up against him is an affront to the Son of Man. Even if it's guided in Christian ease or spiritual ease, right? This is all the way back in the book of Daniel. If, if you're, if you're kind of getting some things, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are kind of, they're cousins. I'll say it that way, okay? Obviously, they're in the Bible, but they walk the same walk, okay? And they talk much of the same. And the beautiful part about this kingdom, no matter what it looks like, it will never be destroyed by a lion, a bear, or a leopard, or a beast. Pastor, stop. It sure looks like it is. I say amen. It looks like the bear and the leopards and the lions and the monsters are winning the world. Amen? You can say amen. It looks like it to me sometimes. What's our response? We live by faith in Christ, not by sight. I live in the hope of the gospel, not by what only these things tell me. Remember Nicodemus? Teacher, how am I born again? Thinking only with this and only with this. Remember what Jesus said? Go back in your mom's tummy. That's what Nicodemus heard. And Jesus says, oh, teacher, which you should know these things, you must be born of water and spirit to enter my kingdom by faith, repentance, and turning from myself and my lion lust and my bear lust and my leopard lust and my monster-like lust and turning to the cross and saying, Lord, help me, I'm tired of this. Luke 15, prodigal son. He was the king's son, and he was eating pig manure. And he came to his senses, and he said, what am I doing here? My father bestows favor and love on me. Maybe I could just be one of his servants. And what was the father's response in the parable? Did he look back and go, there's that idiot son of mine. What a schmuck. you believe your brother? the father ran and humbled himself and said, he was dead, he's alive, he was lost, now he was found. Let's have a party. And that actually caused the jealousy between siblings, right? That's grace. That's what the kingdom is about. The kingdom is for people who have blown it tremendously and are offered pardon through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, and Daniel's preaching it. Might not look like it. But way back then, Daniel's saying, I'm giving you good news. You know where we get the term good news from biblically? The book of Isaiah. And it's translated over time, and we get Engaleon and herald and all these things, and it comes out gospel. We can debate when the civilization started. We can even debate whether Genesis is a historical account or what was it all about. I don't like to debate those things. This is what I tell people. But from the beginning, humans have been messed up, right? We go, what? Yeah, we've been pretty messed up, okay? Since Cain and Abel, some things have gone way wrong. And then good news breaks out. Good news of a true and eternal kingdom that is not one like earthly kingdoms. How are earthly kingdoms one? Now with a keyboard and a pen, but it used to be with, Rocks and swords, then it went to guns and bombs, and now everything's won by this. Do we know that? I hope you know that. Usually money transfers now, and different things. That's how the beast, the lion, the monster, the bear, that's how they operate. How did the Son of Man operate? When his closest earthly friend, one of them, Peter, Peter, was seeing his Lord arrested. And they grabbed Jesus. What did Peter do? Peter was bold. Peter was acting like a lion, and as maybe you and I would too. He took it and, whoosh, sorry, Bob, I got you. You're gone. Remember what Jesus said? That's right, kill him. Peter, what are you doing? My kingdom is not of this, so I don't fight the way this world, what? I fight by laying my life down and spilling my blood for all who will come into belief under me. That's how I win. Dave, pastor, it sure doesn't look like Jesus is one. Watch your tongue in church. I will too. Because I think that sometimes. I, by the grace of God, I have the privilege, as many of you, traveled all over the world to see churches. I've traveled to some places that you would be like you were married and you had a family, why on earth would you go there? And I was like, I don't know. They bought my plane ticket. No, I don't know. About, you go there cuz God burdens your heart, right? And you go to big towns and small towns and well-known countries and obscure countries. And usually on Saturday night or Sunday morning, you know what we find in those places? People who belong to this kingdom not really well-known per se, they don't have 500,000 followers for their preaching gig on YouTube, they haven't written all the books, they probably don't even have a Facebook page in much of the world, but we see Christians worshiping God through the blood of Jesus, building the kingdom in their community, and it looks different for all of us. In Thailand, it's heavily targeted on trafficking. In Sudan, it's heavily targeted, and most of our men are either at war or dead, so we've lost a whole generation of people. And you know what challenged me the most in Sudan? Watching a five-foot-ten Sudanese woman take care of three families, because both husbands died, and watching her serve the Lord and work put me under. And I was almost brought to tears. And I thought to myself, I complain when my coffee's just lukewarm, not hot at the local coffee store when I'm studying for a sermon. And what do we do? We're just like Isaiah in that moment. I will put my hand over my mouth and say, it's all good, God. In Russia, I haven't been there for 20 years, but they're, uh, they're doing what they think we're doing. Went to the Philippines and it was an amazing church. The hardest part is when you're a Western pastor, either white or not, you show up to a church and they say, Bring us God's Word. And you're like, I'm not qualified. Why don't I sit and you? No, you came so far. And, and you would offend them if you don't say something, right? So you try and do your best and God shows up and there's communion and then there's fellowship and there's a oneness that we have here, even though I've known these people for seven hours. But our only bond is this kingdom through the blood of who? Jesus. And it's real. So the next time someone says, it doesn't look like God's kingdom's being built. Remember, it's not like a redwood tree. It's like a what? Mustard seed. It is tiny. And it goes from house to house and Bible study to Bible study and meal to meal. And it spreads. And the spirit comes and people are born again for real. And their hearts are changed. And they start living as Jesus instructed. How did Jesus instruct? Love one another. Yes. How did we do that? Deal with our anger and forgive. How do we do that? Don't lust after sex or money or power or any of that. Stop doing that. Jesus will meet you. Guys who are married, let's stay married and work it out. Women who are married, under almost every circumstance, sans abuse and some other things, let's stick it out. And we'll work on it. How should I treat the Muslim I work with the way you want to be treated? That's what Jesus said. How should I treat someone of another sexual preference than me the way you want to be treated? That's what Jesus said, not what pastor said. How should I treat the racist person next to me the way you want to be treated? But on your prayer closet, right? Maybe pray for people and love people and go the extra mile with people. That's how the kingdom is laid out. Doing youth ministry for 20 years, I know why we did it but we'd always used to say, we got an army of young warriors for God. I know why we did it, because warriors are cool and they're strong and they're brave and they're courageous like Joshua. Jesus has not commanded any of us to be like Joshua anymore, do you get that? Jesus has not commanded any of us in the fulfillment of the new covenant to act like a general and take lives for him. What did Jesus say? This is the way my people live now. They're servants. You really want to pour coals on people's heads who you don't like? I know that's kind of weird, snarky. Go wash their feet. Go buy them coffee. Go serve them And if they don't have a seared conscience, which is a biblical thing, but it's far less prevalent than a lot of us like to think, because that's an easy out, they will see salt and light in you. And whether they choose to gravitate towards God in that is their choice. Whether they choose to hate you more. What does Jesus say if that happens? For his namesake, blessed are you if they really persecute you for my kingdom. You are highly favored. That's the way the army is formed in the New Covenant. But this is tricky because we have dear saints who have fought for our country, namely the birthday boy in World War II, and we say, thank you. But in that thank you, we walk in that Calvary tension of Bob and others who serve do their service, but our kingdom, our Christian kingdom is not built solely like the American kingdom It's built by this general who went to the cross and laid his life down for all. Every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. Again, I'll say it again. If you don't believe me, read Revelation 7 this week and you'll go, that's the new Jerusalem. Every people, someone from every people God's collecting. That's why racism and bigotry is so easy. You know nothing of God. God bless you. Pastor says you could say that this week. If you come face to face with bigotry and racism, you know nothing of God. Pastor says, God bless you. You can say, God bless you too. Because Christ died for people. Christ didn't kill to build his kingdom. Christ took the violence and the guilt that man had been doing and is still doing upon himself. And he said, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. That is the way of the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the monster. We don't know what we're doing. Amen? So this kingdom is everlasting. This kingdom, chronologically in time, has a beginning. Jesus ushered in. But it was the plan all along. So we can debate about Jesus' pre-incarnate nature and all those things. But this is Daniel's vision. It is the gospel, it's the good news. Last but not least, a few minutes. Luke chapter 4, many of you know it. Luke shows up, or sorry, Jesus shows up. We see him for a little bit when he's young. He goes away. He reappears. Mark, he reappears right away. There's a little bit of backstory into the different gospels. But Luke 4:16, Jesus comes to his hometown, Nazareth. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. As Luke said, this was customary. They did this on the Sabbath. Verse 17, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, he unrolled the scroll and found a place where it was written, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim Good news to the poor, just like in Daniel 7. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's both spiritually and physically. we got to see it that way. And recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Imagine that. They read this familiar passage and most people in synagogue at that point would have been like yes Lord come like do this you guys know the rest of the story next verse this is what he said to him here it is it's starting humble adoration for those who would be pursuing him sensitive to God wanting to believe, living by faith, not by sight, hoping in the goodness of Yahweh. But that those who would not believe, how would they act? Like a lion? Like a bear? Like a leopard? And eventually, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and other things would act like a what? We got to get rid of this guy. He feeds the poor. He heals Lameness, he gives sight to the blind, but he also said, before Abraham, I what? I was, and that was their out. Nobody can be God but God himself, and that was the hardness of the way of the world or empire. And ultimately, if we really read history, Jesus was really bad for business. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Especially when Paul showed up. Acts 16 through 18, remember? Remember? Remember the main opposition towards Paul? He can think like better than the Greeks. He's way better versed in uh, Jewishness or uh, we'll say the Jewish faith than the Hebrews. And all the idol makers are going out of business and they're going on strike and they're rioting. Why were the idol makers going out of business? Because Paul would simply say, Why are you worshiping a piece of metal or a stump of wood? The risen Savior's come and he reigns now. And people would be converted. And money and commerce would go away. That's the way of the world if we get too into it. There's lots of prophetic utterings here, not by me, by the scriptures. And they said, Governor, we can't have this. We can't pay you taxes. And what would the governor go? If I don't get enough from here, I'm done. Boom. And let's lock Paul up. The last bit, this was be- very subversive. I don't have time, so I won't because it's hot in here. Around 5 BC is when Christ was born. That's weird, right? Christ was born five before Christ. But anyways, that's our calendar's a little weird. They had a gospel in Rome. You know what it was called? The Pax Romana, the Roman peace. How did Romans achieve peace? By the sword. Courtney, you want to be part of our civilization? Say no. You're dead. Paul, do you want to be part of our civilization? Oh, heck yeah. That's how peace was achieved. And so they would go in and they would make cities in countries desolate and then they would do what they would do, and they'd go, look, there's no war in that province. Well, you just killed everyone. That's why there's no war. And Caesar Augustus, when Jesus was born, you know what his names were? Son of God and Prince of Peace. Christians don't get offended by that. See God's subversive goodness in sending the true Son of God and the true Prince of Peace to offer the true good news. Jesus is Lord was very subversive back then, it's not as subversive now. Claim it, Christian. Live it. We are a part of a kingdom that is growing. And when people say, I don't see it, let's, by God's grace, in the next 10 years, continue to do things that we'll have examples and go, oh, you, you, let me tell you about the kingdom. <laughs> let me tell you about the work God's doing here and afar. I'm four minutes over. It's hot. Thank you for listening. I'm sweating. Let me pray. And I hope we are learning from this series entitled Exile, How to Live in These Crazy Times as Christians, as people of the kingdom. If you're not a Christian, I hope you're hearing the good news. And it's not my good news, it's Jesus'. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these dear saints. Thank you for your word Thank you for the gift of history and interpretation and saints coming long before. And thank you for your spirit to illuminate these texts and show us maybe not how to become callous or apathetic or even lazy, but how us, show us how to see the way of this fallen world and then the alternative, your son, the son of man who's come to say, walk with me and build my kingdom in a different way. Help us do that. Help us love and forgive and go the extra mile and be merciful and be gracious and be kind. All the while, give us the time and energy and insight to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in us, and that's your son. Help us as we go. Bless us and keep us. May your face shine upon us all of our days. Be gracious to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.